Well, let's turn to our, our Bibles, uh, the book of books, and read from Romans chapter 7 and at verse 13. Another question. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law or a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Amen. May God's word Uh, touch our hearts as we think about it today. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you don't come to church Sunday by Sunday uh, to be depressed. Uh, We've got struggles enough of our own. We don't need to be reminded about somebody else's struggles. And that's exactly what we have here actually in this passage We've got the struggles. This is an autobiographical section. Paul is talking about his own experience in life. And you know, he concludes by talking about his feeling of, of wretchedness. But you know, he's not doing that to have us all kind of feel depressed this morning. He's not doing that so that we just kind of wallow in things and feel, feel pretty bad at the end of the service. The reason that he's doing that is is to be helpful. It's got a positive message 
although it takes us on this journey. And so let me remind you that this is, this is just part of a story that he's talking about in this section of Romans. This is the part of Romans that's talking about righteousness in practice. How that we become sanctified, that we grow in grace. And there are a number of key component parts that are helpful for us to grasp along that journey. If I can remind you of some of them from chapter 6, for instance, he says it's very important in this journey that you remember who you are, what your identity is in Christ. Don't you know, Russell read some of these verses this morning, there are things that we need to know that have happened to us in Christ and that we are in Christ. Secondly, you need to be who you are. Count yourself to be dead to sin. Act on that knowledge. Offer yourself to God as a decision, as a choice. Daily, offer yourself to God. And here we come to this one. This one, which has to do with the struggle against sin. And this is not the last key component point, actually, in this whole bit about sanctification. Because in chapter 8, he goes on to the next one. It's the importance of of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So he doesn't keep us kind of just hanging in suspense. This is not his final word, O wretched man that I am. He goes on to the next point beyond it. But this is a key point in our understanding of how to live sanctified lives for Christ. It is to have this awareness of the reality of the ongoing struggle that every believer has with indwelling sin. Now, Paul had many struggles. You know, one of the key passages, if you wanted to just remind yourself of how difficult a life the Apostle Paul had, is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It gives a whole list of things that were an, another autobiographical statement. He talked about being shipwrecked. He talked about opposition. He talked about being flogged. He talked about his poor health. He talked about all his care and concern and worries for individuals, for Christians, for churches. All these things, they pressed in upon him as part of his struggles. But this is something different here in Romans 7. This is Paul's struggle against his own sin. Now, I'm going to try and break this down just into two very simple, straightforward headings. Well, two words really that come out of the passage. The first um, is the word flesh. And uh, you'll, you'll read that from where we kicked off in chapter 13 down to about the second half uh, of chapter 18. And then the second one is the idea of deliverance. Flesh and deliverance. So you see that in verse 14, for instance, uh, where he says there, I am of the flesh. You'll see it again in verse 18. Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The last verse, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What does he mean when he uses this word flesh? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean flesh and blood. You know, he doesn't mean flesh and bone. He's not talking about connective tissue. All right. I remember 
with uh, some of my pals. We went to Berlin for a, a wee break one day, uh, one year, and um, uh, we looked up at uh, a cafe sign, and we were looking for the equivalent of a bacon roll. And in German, it's called Schweinflesh, all right? Pig flesh, all right? We're not talking about flesh here. When this word flesh is used in Scripture, it's referring to my old sinful human nature. That's what it's being mean. It's, it's an internal thing. It's the, it's the sin nature that is part and parcel of me as a human being. You say, why? Wait a minute. I thought we'd been talking about in the book of Romans how you know, we, we, are, we are a new creation that we've been born of God and that we've died to sin, that sin has been dealt with conclusively by Christ upon the cross. So, so what's all this about struggling with our flesh, our sinful nature? Well, all of these things are true about being born again and, and, and dying to sin and sin being dealt with. Absolutely true. But this is also true. And if we don't understand this, and if we don't take this to heart, and we don't consider how this actually works and what Paul is teaching us here, we're actually in for big trouble, serious trouble in our Christian lives. Now, if I can use a bit of an analogy here that has helped me to try and understand this, it's a, it's a military analogy, and this is the way that I see it anyway. And it's like this. As a Christian, as someone who's placed their faith in Christ to save me, Christ is now my master. Christ is now my Lord. He has captured my heart. He has taken the high ground and he's displaced the, the rebel force. Sin is no longer my master. It no longer dominates me. But sin has not been completely eradicated. It's retreated. It's, it's in the periphery. It's fighting a rear guard action. There's guerrilla warfare going on. There are snipers that come from the periphery. Sin is still waging war against me, although it doesn't hold the high ground and it doesn't hold the, doesn't hold the heart. It will never go away. The fight never goes away and it's always there. Now, what we have to remember when we come to this section is that this is the great apostle Paul who's writing this. You know, this is, this is the apostle, the man who writes the bulk of the New Testament. And he's writing this as part of his normal, if we can call it that, Christian experience. He's not writing this as, you know, this, I'm writing this because this was a kind of lapsed period in my life. I got away from things I was off the rails for a while. I was backslidden. And this is how I felt at the time. He's not writing like that. He's writing as a mature Christian. 
And what he's teaching us is that this is the experience of all Christians. It's part of what it means to live a Christian life. In fact, the argument might be there that the more mature that you become as a Christian, the more this becomes an issue. Certainly, in reading Christian biography, if you've ever read the likes of David Brainhart or Robert Murray McShane, you know, you'll, you'll know that in their writings they were very conscious of, of grieving the Lord, of letting the Lord down, of things that they did. And things that at one time would not have bothered them, but as they matured and developed, they became more sensitive to that and more aware of that. And so therefore this became more of an issue uh, for them. And so, this is reality. And we need to grasp this. You know, sometimes there are fads and fashions in Christian thought. The same way as there are fads and fashions everywhere. I'm not so sure how prevalent this is now. But certainly at one time, there used to be this thing. It was a bit, a bit dodgy and wacky. It used to be called sinless perfection. You know, some Christians used to talk about the victorious life that they had. And they always lived it on this higher plane. Some people actually said, you know, I haven't sinned for 10 years or for 15 years. I was reading a book recently, actually, a biography of this, this young chap. And uh, his, his mother espoused this teaching. And he's scratching his head, particularly when he's reading this book afterwards, said, I know what happened at home, you know. I know what it was like at home, and it wasn't sinless perfection, I'll tell you. You know, but some people, they took that. And that's it's very harmful. And you will become disillusioned with the Christian life if, if, if you don't grasp the reality of this situation that we have. And you won't be helpful when you try to encourage other people as well. We have to accept this is always a problem. Now, what I'd like to do at this point is give another example. It's an example actually that, that Paul himself uses. And he uses this example to highlight how, how big an issue indwelling sin actually is. And how corrupt it is. And to, to what extent it can actually cause problems for us if we're not alert to this. And the example, as you read down these parts of chapter 7 um, that he gives, is about the law of God. You know, so we've got the, the law that God gave to Moses, the ceremonial law that, and the moral law that, 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 that forms part of our, the bulk of our Old Testament. And of course, Paul's opponents and his critics were always, you know, misrepresenting him regarding the law. Of course, he, he was presenting the gospel of Christ. And they felt that, that he's just denigrating the law by doing that. He's rubbishing the law. And Paul said, no, no, that, that's not the case at all. But here is the reality of the situation. This is why the gospel is needed. This is why Christ is needed. Because do you know what the sinful nature does? It takes something that is good. It takes something that is spiritual. And in fact, if you look down, you'll see these phrases that they come uh, from our passage. Verse number 13 says that the law is spiritual 
And uh, the law is good. And verse 14 says the law is, is spiritual. He says, but this, this sinful nature manipulates the law. It corrupts the law. And therefore, this law that we've tried to regulate our lives by, the Ten Commandments that we, we try to live by, in fact, we find it, you know, it doesn't do that. It doesn't help us. In fact, it does the very opposite to us. It actually inflames and aggravates the problem that it's trying to fix. And if you back up slightly uh, in, in, in the chapter, in verse number 9, he said, you know, I felt really good once. I felt alive. And then the law came, corrupted by the sinful nature. And it just destroyed me. And another analogy I found helpful to explain this. It's like, it's like driving a car. All right? And uh, you think you're putting your foot on the brake. You think you're slowing things down. You think you're controlling the car. You know, I'm living by the law. It will slow me down. It will help me. It will control things. But in fact, you're not putting your foot on a brake at all. You're putting your, your foot on, an ex, on the accelerator. And, you're, and, and, the, and the engine springs to life. The engine revs up. And it runs away from you. And that's what the law is like when the sinful nature is brought up against it. Ashley's been talking to us today about his appraisal. You know? And we know that so much of of working life it's all got to do with ethics and, and regulation and how things need to be done properly to protect people and the reality of the situation is this that despite the laws all being introduced it doesn't help anybody's situation it actually aggravates it and it makes it worse and that is true of religion Religion that is just defined in terms of laws and regulation. And that is why the gospel is needed. The gospel is not just about laws and regulations. Because if it was, the sinful nature will manipulate that. But we have Christ. And so that is what he's talking to us about regarding the flesh. The flesh. And that's why he says there is so much struggle and conflict that seems to be going on within his life we have christ we have the new nature but the old nature is still there sniping away and look at how he talks about the struggle and how he develops that verse 15 he says you know at times i don't i don't understand myself i don't understand my own actions i don't I, I do the things that I actually, in my own heart, don't want to do. These things that I wish were never part of my life. I wish they never happened. I wish I was never involved in them. And yet, time and time again, I find myself doing them. They're not what I want to do, but it's what I do. And, and the corollary is also true. That... I have the desire to do what is right. But I don't have the ability to carry that 
through. I, I, I want to do right. I want to be kind. I, I want to be generous. You know, I want to be involved in Christian things. I want to be part of the life and, and the activity of the church. And I just don't seem to be able to do that. That's all part of this conflict between the sinful nature and our new life in Christ. And there is this law, this unerring principle that seems to apply, verse 21. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And, and, and he says, you know, I feel my wretchedness. What a wretched man. And we can identify with this, many of us. Does he leave it there? Are we left hanging with this feeling of wretchedness? And despair, of course not. What a terrible thing that would be. We now come to the deliverance. The answer. I mean, it's important that we understand the reality of that. We need to understand this is the bread and butter, everyday reality of Christian life. We must never forget that. If we, if we do forget it, we're in for trouble. Many years ago, about 25 years ago, maybe more, when, um, when we were missionaries in Zambia, way up in rural Zambia, uh, where ma- malaria was prevalent, um, I was called to see a, an American lady who was sick. And uh, she was one of her colleagues. And um, it came out that she had not been taking her malaria prophylaxis. She thought, I've lived here a long time. I'm immune to this. It's not going to bother me. It's not going to affect me. Um, And she didn't take her prophylaxis. And she well nearly died. In fact, she was left with cortical blindness. You know, she nearly died because she didn't realize that there was a conflict and a problem that was going on and that she just couldn't ignore. You know, so that, that, that's where we are when we're talking about the flesh. Don't ignore this. This is important. But there is the message about deliverance. Deliverance. Who will deliver me? Verse number 24. Who is able to, be, to deliver me from this body of death? From this body that is so influenced by all of this? Is there anyone out there? Anyone who can help me? Anyone who can deliver me from this? I thank God. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. There is the deliverance. He is the deliverance. Now just follow this with me will you? Because the the primary point. That he is making here is this. That the deliverance. From the body of death. Actually, full deliverance only takes place when Christ takes me home to glory. That is when this body of mine, this body of corruption is laid aside with its sinful nature. And I, when I see Christ, when I see him, I will be like him. For I will see him as he is. And I will have a body of glory. A glorious body. 
like unto Christ's glorious body. And in heaven, it's not just the case that the perfection of the, of the place is because there is no sorrow and there's no sickness and there's no pain and there's no death. I mean, there is no sinful nature. There is no evil. There is no indwelling sin to fight against and to, and to wage war against me. It's gone. That's the primary point. It's right until the very end this conflict takes place. This afternoon we are having a little birthday party for Angela's mum, 88. All right? If you spoke to her, I'm sure she would still speak to you about the ongoing struggle against sin. It's only when we get to 89? No. It's only when we get to glory. That there is full and final deliverance. But that deliverance will come. When we are with Christ. And when we are in heaven. And he is the ultimate deliverer. Jesus Christ himself. And that's why you know, you have these passages like Roman, uh, Revelation 5. The wonderful passage. When the lamb is brought forward. Right into the foreground. Of all the multitudes of heaven. Is there anyone that's worthy? And the massive choirs of heaven swell. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. He has redeemed us. He has delivered us. And here we are. Washed clean. Through the blood of Christ. That is the primary point. That is being made here. Full deliverance. Is not until then. But. The Lord Jesus came as the saviour of the world. To seek and to save those of us who are lost. He looked at the multitudes. He had compassion upon them. He saw them as sheep that didn't have a shepherd. The son of God loved me. And he gave himself for me. What a deliverance many people experienced at the hand of Christ during the days of his flesh. What a deliverance people are still experiencing from the power of sin on a progressive basis irrespective of this war that we are describing. The deliverance to some extent is there. Just being reminded of of how those survivors of Outswitch must have felt. You know how lately there were these seven portraits commissioned uh, by, by Prince Charles. And uh, I jotted down the name of one. Lily Ebert, 98 years of age. What must she have felt when the Allies rolled in and freed and delivered them from the horror of Outswitch? There is a deliverer. Who will deliver me? Thank God through Jesus Christ. And it's for us all today to look to Christ. To look to Christ's death and his resurrection. His body and blood. And say, here is my deliverer. I believe in him. I trust in him. Have you thanked him? I mean, that's, that's what Paul is doing here. He is thanking him. Thank you for saving me. 
Thank you for delivering me. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for my Lord and Master because without him, I would be nowhere. Is that the expression of our hearts? As we sit here this morning and we think about this subject, about deliverance from sin. Thank you. As I was preparing for this, there was a, a verse of I'm not going to sing this, obviously, but there was a verse of a, of a song. I think I first learned this way back in the 70s or 80s by an American called Andre Crouch. And the, night, the name of it is called My Tribute. Just, just think about this in connection with what I've been saying. How could I say thanks for all the things that you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. This passage is not about despair. It's not about depression and about wretchedness. It is about reality. The flesh. The struggle with indwelling sin. But it's also about deliverance. The deliverance that comes through Christ. He starts it. He continues it. And thank God he will finally bring it to conclusion. Ultimate deliverance. Thanks be to God. For the things he has done. Now shall we pray. Lord this is such a helpful wake up call to reality. Not to us living out some sort of fantasy, pop culture, Christian type of life and thought, but the reality of what it means to live with you, this constant battle against our indwelling sin. Help us, Lord, to grasp this, as well as all the other points that are part and parcel of what it means to be sanctified, that we're trying to learn through our studies in Romans. And increasingly help us to look to Christ, the great deliverer, we thank you for him that his body was given for us, that his blood was shed for us, that he was raised from the tomb, that he is in heaven today interceding on our account, and that he will come again and receive us unto himself. We will be finally delivered. That good work that he commenced, he will carry on until final completion at the day of Jesus Christ. May your word enter our hearts. Help us to respond to that whether that response be for the first time belief in Christ or whether the, this is a reevaluation and reassessment and relearning of what it means to live a sanctified life for Christians. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.